welcome to the Macworld Podcast, episode 456 for May 13th, 2015. We're brought to you this week by Dashlane, Red Hat, and The Great Courses. Hello, everybody. We're back here at the Macworld Podcast for a little bit of a quieter week than some recent ones. A lot of stuff was shipping. We're trying out a lot of new things. We've settled down a little bit, and uh, we've got a lot of different things to talk about today. I'm Glenn Fleischman, a senior contributor to Macworld, and with me is Susie Oaks, the executive editor of Macworld. Hello, Susie. Hi, Glenn. How are you? I am uh, fabulous. I have a working computer again, which we'll talk Yay! about later. <laughs> oh, it's been so it's, much. It's uh, been a, a wild journey. Oh, lordy. Uh, soon readers can share in that journey. Uh, so we uh, we opened this morning as we're taping this. The news just came out that um, America Online still exists. I, I mean, um, <laughs> America Online was purchased by Verizon. What? Why would they do such a thing? Yeah, that's weird. I I just found out about this when you mentioned it to me like two minutes ago, and I'm surprised. Um, I guess we knew AOL was for sale. Um, They'd been monkeying around with their online properties recently, and uh, and, you know, to terrible effects if you're a fan of um, some Apple blogs. Um, like the unofficial Apple weblog, which was folded into Engadget. But anyway, um, yeah, I guess that they were doing that to to make it more attractive for sale and trying to find a buyer. And they did. Um, Verizon is buying for AOL for $4.4 billion, or $50 a share. That's amazing so, that it's worth that's that. That's a lot of shares right away. That's like, what, 8 billion shares? Or wait, no, I can't do math. I can't. Um, <laughs> the, well, the... Uh, or eight eight hundred billion. The the funny thing is uh, that the time AOL or Time Warner AOL merger is. I, I've seen this phrase actually multiple times this morning. Widely regarded as one of the worst mergers in history. The one of the second worst mergers was AP, HP and Compact. Not long after that, but AOL was purchased at its peak at uh, two hundred twenty four billion dollars uh, before it uh, uh, merged with Time Warner, and that was a huge disaster. For both companies, and it was spun out, and it's been operating, um, you know, independently for some time now. And uh, uh, you know, it's still <laughs> my joke this morning is, oh, Verizon's getting back into the dial-up business because uh, <laughs> um, they still <laughs> they still make six hundred million dollars a year from dial-up revenue. And uh, my question is always, what percentage of that are people who realize they're paying for dial-up service? I, I'm Really yeah. Do you think a lot of that is just automatic payments and, you know, some poor person has had dial up back in the 90s and just never turned it off? It's everybody's grandparents. Uh, That's sad. My in-laws had, uh, they moved to Seattle years ago from the East Coast and they got cable modem service within, I don't know, a year or less than a year of moving in. And two or three years later, they're looking over their bill and they're like, what's this? They ask us, what's this AOL? Why are they being charged for that? Don't we, don't we get that now? We're like... How long have you been paying this? Well, we've been paying it since whatever. I'm like, oh, so they paid AOL at that point, you know, an extra $1,000 or something. Uh, and uh, AOL also offers this antivirus premium service plan that you don't have to have dial-up for that. Uh, I think the last time I checked, it was $25 a month. And they rolled people from dial-up service who had, like, oh, well, you should cancel your dial-up, but sign up for this because we monitor your account, we blah, 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 blah. And, and I don't know if it's worthwhile or not. I can't imagine anything is worthwhile 
or $300 a year unless they give you um, phone service every day. Uh, phone support, but anyway, yeah, they yeah, have. Yeah, for three hundred dollars, someone should come to your house and make sure <laughs> right that you don't have viruses. Yeah. But so, I mean, AOL today, it's Huffington Post, it's Engadget, it's uh, uh, TechCrunch, TechCrunch, right? So it's a lot of content sites, and some of them are quite. I mean, Huffington Post does something. I can't. I've, I don't even know. It's billions of page views. It was billions of page views. A it's month. a big and, site. Yeah, and even if you're doing um, the the cost per thousand, the CPM, as it's used in the ad world, uh, you know, even if it's a one dollar, two dollar CPM, and you're only selling fifty percent of your ads, when you get a billion page views, there's some money there. So, uh, anyway. and they have their own advertising business, and that's right. that's something that that our Macworld's uh, parent company, IDG, does too. So we have properties that show the ads. And then we also have an ad network selling the ads. So so AOL does that. And so they're getting you know more revenue for the ads on those properties than they would if they were using another company's ad network. So these are all these are all sold by networks now. It's not like exactly. they don't we don't have like a, a guy in a desk like calling up, you know, different companies saying, hey, do you want to advertise on Macworld.com? Like it's it's real time bidding. It's it's mostly it's more like the stock market than it is the old the old ad sales. Um, model. So, and it wasn't so too yeah, many years you, ago that Microsoft bought uh, a Seattle company, Avenue A, or I forget what their, their they had a different they had different names, but they were one uh, they were an ad agency sort of on one side and a technology on the other. And Microsoft paid seven billion for Avenue A, and then wrote the entire amount down not very long after that, a couple years later, because they weren't able to uh, integrate it or something. So there's a lot of money in the ad business, but it also gets thrown around in very funny ways. Yeah. Well, those of you who still subscribe to AOL, let us know why you're paying for dial-up. There still are dial-up <laughs> users in America. It's just, it's a very small number, and there's very, very cheap ways, almost free ways to get dial-up. Uh, and uh, eventually the phone companies, I mean, the phone line, the dial tone is is going to be a thing of the past uh, at some point, and the phone companies would love to have it do it. That's why it's so, I just, it's a great irony that Verizon is is um, buying a company that still sells dial-up. It's cute. Hopefully the Venn diagram between people still paying AOL for dial-up and the people listening to our podcast right now does not have a lot of overlap, but yeah, you know. People <laughs> so, spending... I mean, it's always a good idea to every once in a while audit the different services you're paying for. If I sat right down right now and tried to um, add up all the different online subscriptions and stuff I'm paying for between, you know, newsstand and streaming services, and I, I bet I'm also wasting some money every month that, that I could cancel and not even notice well you know comcast decided to charge me uh originally i have business service at home because i was worried about the caps because mm -hmm. comcast has caps and over or had caps then they're switching to an overage system that they've been testing for a long time and one of my friends josh centers out there in the uh in the um the wilds of uh Oh, this is embarrassing. See, this is my. I grew up in Oregon. I should be able to tell the difference between Kentucky and Indiana. So he's in Kentucky. Sorry. And uh, yeah, I was going to say, isn't he? <laughs> he's in Kentucky, and I'm I'm blurry. I have relatives in Tennessee. Somewhere I in the Bourbon Belt. The Bourbon Belt, Down exactly. There. Uh, so Wonderful he uh, he's in a market that's actually testing uh, overage fees. So he switched to business. <laughs> Lucky him. Business. I know. There's like seven markets in the country, and and he's in one of them, and he. As a Mac guy, and has to download gigabytes of all the time and uh, use a streaming video. So uh, I had um, I had Comcast Business. I still have Comcast Business at home because when I was testing for this MacWorld magazine, you may have heard of, I was doing online hosted backup testing, and they call me. Very nice people at Comcast call me and say, "Hey, you use 600 gigabytes this month." I'm like, "Yes." They're like, "Well, we don't allow that." I'm like, "Oh, so 
I switched to business and they uh, had a modem rental fee at that point because they used a a higher end uh, modem for their business service and it was Mm. about five bucks a month and the modem was hundreds of dollars if I purchased it. So, or whatever. Time goes by. I look at my bill one day. I'm being charged $13 a month for the modem that had been, you know, gradually moved up and the modem that would be required is now $80. So I did the switch. And then of course I've now in my third time having to tell Comcast that I returned the equipment. I have a receipt. I took a picture of that receipt and, uh, every time I go on Twitter, I say, Hey, you're charging me. They go, Oh, we're very sorry. And then they charge it. Cause you, you know, you can't get to them by phone. I call their phone tree and they, uh, it routinely hangs up on me when I press the right options. So uh, I use Twitter, at Comcast Cares, folks, if you have problems with Comcast, and then they do the thing you need. It's um, it's a shortcut. <laughs> they do the thing you need until you get the next bill, and it's oh, then you right back again. to normal. Yeah, but I think I probably paid 150 to $200 more than I needed to uh, when the price jacked up and the modem cost went down. It's uh, a lot of these businesses. I, I, I dislike any business, the basis of which is, oh, you weren't paying attention. And so we're charging you. That's mm-hmm. been the nice thing. That's the nice thing about Apple. I will bring it around to the focus of our podcast. But is that is that Apple, so often I feel like whenever anything happens with them where I feel like, oh, I just got taken. They charged me for something. Do uh, you remember the, uh, the 802.11n software update fee? Yeah. And everyone's yeah. like, what is this about? And everyone's, oh, Sarbanes-Oxley. It's this thing. It's a subscription. It's true. It absolutely was true. They had to charge something for it because of these accounting rules. And they later... You know, they rejiggered how they recognize software revenue, whatever. So they never have to do that again. But it was still, we were all like, oh, come on. Yeah. What? Apple, what are you doing? This isn't like you're <laughs> charging us on a fee to put new firmware in our machines. So, yeah. Cool. It's like we all had to line up and throw a coin into Scrooge McDuck's pool. <laughs> you know, you're like, you have so much. You really need my $5. Need I just want faster Wi Fi. The accountants did. Uh, oh, my gosh. Uh, Let's uh, let's do another topic here before we talk about our first advertiser. Uh, we were going to talk about betas because, uh, as you've noted, uh, New Yosemite. Oops, <laughs> I can't even pronounce the name anymore. New Yosemite and Yosemite. Yosemite, Yosemite, as people say to me as I walk down the street. <laughs> uh, New Yosemite and iOS betas. Uh, are out. And these are part of, uh, the developers have been getting these all along, uh, but Apple's been very aggressive about its public beta program. I signed up for it and I'm being reminded every day, hey, there's a new Yosemite beta. Do you want to install it? I'm like, no, I'm trying to get work. It really floods you with the updates. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I'm in the Yosemite beta program too. And not the developer one, I went with the public one. And yeah, it's it's updates all the time. So yeah, I was wondering if you wanted to discuss whether, I mean, I'm glad that they're doing these public beta programs because it's just, you know, it's kind of cool to get to use software that isn't out yet, but it's also can be sort of a hassle. So do you think it's worth it for just regular people to get in on these? There's there's a public beta program for iOS too, which isn't quite as wide open. You have to be kind of invited to it. You, you know, you express your interest and then, um, you know, they, they let people in kind of, uh, you know, they let they let people in gradually. So I haven't uh, I haven't gotten into that one yet because uh, yeah, the way Yosemite keeps blasting me with updates, I'm like, yeah, I don't know if I want my phone like having to up, update iOS on my phone every you know few days or a couple times a week or something. It's it's it's, it's a lot. 
It's yeah. I I think there actually should be a, a public uh, regress program where you could <laughs> you could be fully supported uh, in the previous release. Uh, I may have told this joke before. This is this is my joke. My little joke is uh, in, in my household. My wife is the early rejector, and um, she nice. serves as a break upon my early adoption thing. So so she's the person who is she's still running Mavericks on her computer because I installed Yosemite, and she's like, oh my god, all you do is complain about that thing. Should I upgrade to a Mac? No, no. And finally, I feel like Yosemite's the point where all the things that would have driven her crazy and were driving me crazy uh, are now gone. And so when I see something about like, hey, any user could sign up for iOS and OS 10 betas, I, I wonder if it's useful to uh, to users. I, I think the, uh, the Mac user group folks, uh, people who are avidly interested in what's happening, so this is not the fan, the fanboy or fangirl market. But the people who are avidly interested in the next thing that's coming, they want to understand it, they enjoy it. It's almost like a form of entertainment to stay up on it. And some of those folks I know, and I, I say the like the mugs because I think it's a great collection. There's still you know, thousands and thousands of people involved in mugs and then you know tens of thousands supported by the people involved. But uh, if you view it as a form of entertainment to get a, to have that thrill of getting a sneak peek on what's happening next then great. And some folks in those communities pay the $100 a year to be in one or more of the developer programs to get developer betas too, because they're interested. I think for the majority of people, boy, I, uh, you know, no, yeah. no, because then you have all these issues of reversion. If something goes wrong, then it's, it's really tricky. Hard to for, go back. Yeah. And some things you can't go back on iOS, especially once you've installed certain kinds of updates, uh, it updates the uh, the baseband, some of the uh, radio hardware, and I think it's, well, usually it's a major release, but usually you cannot go backwards, right? You can't go from eight to seven. And I think when you sign cases. up for the iOS beta program, they do give you some um, instructions for going backwards. I think, but it, I think it, it uh, you can revert requires a version, restoring right? your phone. Yeah, because I think you can go like eight four to eight three, but there's there's some major releases which I don't think Apple's done for beta. I don't know. It's it's the how much of your time do you want to spend with things broken? And and even though the betas are very stable, and I know I installed. So here's a great example. Photos was driving. I mean, iPhoto was driving everyone crazy. Photos was delayed. There was a public beta that included photos. So some people went into that because they're like, oh, for crying out loud, I just want to use photo software that works and I'm willing to take a little early pain to see what it's like and get ready and used to it. And and I understood that motivation entirely. Um, right now, I think the big pull is that iOS 8.4 has the revised uh, music app and people are really interested in that and they want to see it. Yeah. Yeah. 8.4 has a new music app and it's been redesigned. Things are kind of moved around. It, it looks pretty nice, but it's it's going to be a lot different. It's like when iTunes 12 came out and all of a sudden the store was, you know, all up in your music. And when you switched from music to TVs to TV shows to podcasts to movies, the store just went right with you and was like, oh, you, you want to see your music now? What about music in the store? So in the, in that same kind of vein, uh, the music app in 8.4 will put um, this new streaming the new streaming service that um, is rumored to be coming to be announced at WWC, it'll put that kind of front and center too. So it'll be if if you do use streaming, it'll be a nice way to you know uh, manage your streaming music and your locally stored music and your iTunes radio stations all in one app. So that could be really convenient. But you know if you just want to listen to the album that you have on your phone, you might find it clunky and 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 more complicated than it was before. So. 
Um, Yay. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, 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 it depends. Like, they, it, it's kind of subjective. So I, I think it looks pretty good, but I don't use the music app on my phone a lot right now anyway because I do so much streaming. So I'm always in SoundCloud or RDO. But, um, yeah, that's, that's the new thing coming in 8.4, and that, I think, is what's making the beta um, attractive to people. And, yeah, I'm looking at Apple's FAQ. You can go back to a previously released version, but you have to erase your phone, reinstall, oh, and then restore from a backup. So it is kind of a whole dance. I know when developers sign up for their programs, they're warned by Apple, like, look, don't this is beta, early betas. You should not even put this on your everyday device. You know, they, they want developers to have, like, a testing device or, in, in the case of a Mac, at least, you know, another partition. So if something goes wrong, you're not losing data, you're not, you know, your work machine isn't going to be crippled. But regular consumers, I mean, don't really have a spare iPhone around for testing. So, but it should, we should also note that these, the betas that they're giving to the general public are not the same as the betas that developers are getting. Um, developers get them first, and then um, the, the ones that go to the public are, have already been given to developers. Yeah, and so the, the public gets the second, you know, second step. So and they're at least fewer they've... and more stable and, and so forth. They're trying to only do right. something. Yeah, because Apple's not providing support for it. And the worst thing that would be happen, happen would be they ship out a, a beta and suddenly 100,000 people, whoever's in the beta program, install it. And, yeah. <laughs> oh, that could, be, that could be bad. Yeah. Uh, and well, I haven't heard I haven't heard problems from anyone being like, okay, I installed you know the public beta of iOS and now my phone doesn't work and I had to throw it in the ocean. We haven't we haven't heard <laughs> stuff like that, but it's still you know it's you're, you're using beta software, so there's going to be more updates and you know thing, things might look a little weird. And so yeah, I, I I don't know if 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 you're into it and you really just want to get stuff early, then then it's it's a way to go. But I think for most people, I I would recommend they just wait until it comes out. I, and then uh, sometimes even wait a little more because <laughs> the 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 new software has been kind of crazy. Like Yosemite, we're on ten dot ten dot three, and it's still acting a little funky. Yeah, I'm I'm waiting for uh, Apple at WWDC, which is coming up in about uh, under um, under a month now. Oh uh, yeah, I am or f- four weeks away. I'm waiting for them to say. Uh, next OS 10 is a maintenance release. They're not going to say it that way. We have some exciting things planned for OS 10. Uh, well, most of which are we're not going to change things that much. That's what I'm hoping, and then we get a you know a more mature uh, snow or mountain in place. Uh, <laughs> let's uh, take a break though, and and talk about uh, one of our sponsors and thank them. Uh, talk about Dashlane. One of our sponsors this week, uh, Dashlane is a password manager that's already helped over 2 million users online. Now, if you're like me, you're concerned about online security. Well, if you're like me, you're probably not writing a column about it because you're that obsessed. But you may know that it's very easy for uh, for your password, once it's uh, been discovered in some fashion, to be used at many different sites if you use the same password at many sites. There's been huge password breaches of major sites, and if they don't secure your password there properly, then then all bets are off. And so Dashlane is a tool that helps you create unique passwords at every site and not have to remember them. So instead of clicking reset password over and over again because you've forgotten what your password is for a site, or doing the bad information hygiene, security hygiene of using the same password everywhere, with Dashlane you can create a password 
It'll help you fill out the password for you without you having to type it, and it'll sync up and be available everywhere. So on your computer, your phone, your passwords are always with you. This is kind of nifty. The future is unfortunately that we have more and more passwords, but why not use a tool that helps you secure those in one place and create as many unique ones as you need to. Macworld listeners, you can get Dashlane for free. That's right, zero cost. If you go to dashlane.com slash macworld, that's D-A-S-H-L-A-N-E dot com slash macworld, you can download Dashlane now, give it a try, and start securing your online identities with unique passwords you don't have to invent and then remember. Thanks to Dashlane for being one of our sponsors this week. Uh, Susie, you have done this amazing thing. You've used, tested, ranked, graded every Apple Watch <laughs> uh, update, or every, excuse me, every Apple Watch app that Apple builds into the watch, and ranked lists are, are great tools. Uh, so uh, so let's, let's, we should start at the bottom. We don't have to go through all of them. But what's the, uh, I guess on the whole, what did you find? Do you feel having gone through and done like rigorous testing, uh, is there, uh, you know, are there real standouts and real stinkers? Um, a little bit. It's uh, so Apple ships the Apple Watch with about twenty different apps packed in, and those will perform a little better than the third-party apps because um, the third-party developers we've been hearing um, are having some problems with WatchKit, and and the apps are just laggy because they're communicating with your phone over Bluetooth to get everything, and it can take a while. So, so to really evaluate the Apple Watch's performance, I think um, it's 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 a good idea to look. Look at the apps that it, that it comes with, because this is you know what Apple thinks that you're going to be using your your watch for, and these are kind of the gold standard for for the apps that you can use it with right now. But I still found them a little hit or miss. Um, the the ones at the bottom of the list, some people might disagree with this because the apps um, the apps that I ranked the bottom were stocks. And then um, some of the timekeeping apps like World Clock, Timer, and Alarm. And it wasn't that any of these apps are just trash. It's that I don't want them. And on the phone, I feel like every single iPhone user has a folder of packed-in apps that they can't delete. And they just shove them in a folder and put it on some you know, home screen like four or five screens away from, from their main home screen and just pretend that they're not there. But you can't do that on the Apple Watch. Like Those icons are going to be on your home screen. You can kind of keep shoving them out to the edges of the little app cloud. But then when you add new apps, like those get added to the edges of the app cloud. And you have to keep further banishing the ones that you don't want because um, you can't put them in a folder and you can't hide them. So I was dinging those a lot for just, you know, Apple not giving me the control over what's there. Yeah, I was thinking a lot of the things, it sort of defeats the intuitiveness of some aspects of the interface too, is like everything being an explicit app feels very not Apple mm -hmm. as opposed to like on the iPhone, because we don't have to interact through fewer means, the fact that, um, you know, control center is really uh, useful. Um, I'm not using the right term. What is it called? Is it control center? Control Center is the thing where you slide it up from the bottom and it has I always you know, think I'm saying the wrong airplane. Yeah, I always think I'm saying the wrong thing. I love Control Center and some glances are like that. The main glance screen is like that. But I feel like the Control Center metaphor 
hasn't been fully adopted there. So I swipe up and use the timer all the time. I use Siri to start the timer. I use Siri to set alarms. And the watch, I feel like I'm monkeying around with it more with those, especially the time related. Do I? Do we need world clock as a top level item? No. I, mean, I understand. Yeah, it's useful. It's too small a form factor. Like I like the idea of it as a complication you can mm-hmm. set. Like I, you know, if you work in San Francisco, you guys have East Coast offices. If your complication is New York time and the lower right on a watch face. That makes sense. But yeah. how much, yeah. So a lot of these things, like on the phone, as you say, and stocks being hilarious too, it'd be great just to be able to uncheck a box. Like, okay, maybe mm-hmm. Apple shows it by default. Now let me just say, don't show on the on the app screen, the app cloud. Yeah, the Apple Watch app for your iPhone lets you check a box for the third-party apps that you have on your iPhone that have an Apple Watch component. You can choose whether or not you want those on your Apple Watch. So I just want that checkbox for Apple's apps, too. Um, Yeah, as you mentioned, World Clock has a complication, so you could tap that complication and go right to the World Clock. You can use Siri to launch the World Clock, or you can just ask Siri for the information that you want from the World Clock app. You can say, hey, Siri, what time is it in London? (laughs) And she'll tell you, and you don't have to get the app involved. So it's not that I don't want the functionality there. I just don't want it taking up space on my home screen. Like, there's a tiny home screen, and scrolling around it, it's pretty responsive, but there's a little lag, and it's just like the the homes. I've I've been avoiding the home screen on my Apple Watch, and it's not just because of that. It's just it's. I don't oh, know. I never. I try to never use it. I use mm-hmm. Siri if I can. That's isn't that funny? It's. I think there's some things in the watch that are demo features, like the the app, app cloud looks pretty. I it always seemed a little crazy to me when I first saw it. I thought it's not the right metaphor for finding apps, but I understand why they did it. And you can navigate in it. It sort of makes sense, but it's still, it looks better than it works. Looks far better than it works. Mm-hmm. Um, calendar. I think that they'll probably fix this soon, but calendar, you can see the addresses. If you have a location added to your calendar event, you can't tap it to go to a map. Like that oh. seems like it's just a big mistake. Like, I don't know why, like any day that's just going to start working and they're going to pretend it worked all along. But I'm here to tell you that it doesn't work now. <laughs> yeah, and you <laughs> and think calendar is... making right, me mad. It'd be a, a great thing. Uh, uh, yeah, I, mean, I don't know. The calendar you'd think would be a, a key aspect. Um, it's Yeah, it's fun. I don't know. You'd think for a device that's designed around day and time mm-hmm. that those things would be on the top instead of the bottom. But they are on the bottom of your list, and rightly so. Yeah. Yeah, so I was a little disappointed in that. But a lot of them were really solid. Um, I loved the music app. I actually like navigating my music collection from the watch more than the phone because it's got that digital crown. And scrolling through long lists of stuff on the phone, is it's okay. And they have the, the letters on the side so you can you know jump to a letter. But you remember how nice and tactile it was to scroll through a huge list of music with the click wheel on an iPod. It was great. And if, once you started scrolling really fast, it would, it would stop scrolling individual items and just start scrolling by letter. And you'd see the letters flashing by like JKLMN. Stop at the letter you wanted and then, you know, start scrolling again within that letter. And it worked really great. It was seamless and it was nice. You were, you know, touching your music. And the digital crown kind of brings back that feeling. It's it's much more satisfying to scroll with the crown than it is on the watch screen or even on the iPhone screen, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the uh, digital crown, I forget to use it, is one mm-hmm. of my problems. I start yeah, swiping with my finger and then, I'm, wait a minute, there's a, there's a better way. Yeah, yeah, if it, if, 
I th- yeah, we just all kind of got used to using the phone from, I mean, using the, the touch screens on our phones and our iPads. So I don't know, maybe they should put a little digital crown on the next version of the phone so you can just start flying through menus that way. You know, we talked uh, last week, talked a bit about the uh, workout and activity uh, tracking apps and how uh, those work. Those are on the top of your list. And, yeah, and I still like those. Remote control apps. I mean, I th- still think the uh, the watch face, uh, the uh, the photo um, remote uh, function is their camera remote is really slick, and I see you like that as well. That's one of the features that I keep coming back to, and and remote control through the watch of an Apple TV. Same thing. I th- those are things where I'm like, oh, this is so. This is actually uh, useful and easier than any comparable thing. It's unique, which is cool. Yeah, and I think that's a cool sneak peek of um, you know the the wizardry we're gonna see when um, these third party companies start shipping their HomeKit devices, which I've been waiting for since January. So yeah, once we can control more, um, I, I want to control everything for my wrist right now. Um, Apple's kind of teased me with the with the remote app and the the camera remote, and yeah, now I, now I want a remote to everything. Um, you wrote about that cool Knock app. This is a third party app, but um, you just did a private eye on how Knock can be a uh, kind of turn your Apple Watch into a security device and you can lock your your Mac that's running this little knock utility and then you have a companion app on your iPhone and your Apple Watch and you can just tap on your Apple Watch to unlock your Mac and it's it's silly it's faster to just you know type in my password and unlock my map that way <laughs> unlock my Mac that way but it's so much more fun to just do it from the watch I've been doing it just because I can and going like hee hee look what I just did so, oh I don't know you actually find it kind of I sort of like it because um, it's not that it's t- tedious to type in the password, but I, I sometimes I mistype and I, you know, whatever. And I'm like, this is actually, if I get used to it and it becomes easier to pull up, uh, it's easier. And, you know, I was also writing that column about a number of security apps and security related things that are starting to show up on the watch. And I think, um, you know, you've been, you've been dying for HomeKit to come out. And I think when we see HomeKit integration where developers are working with extreme limits right now with the watch. There's very little they can do. It all has to be going great with the iPhone and HomeKit doesn't exist as something they can use and tap into. Even then we're seeing some really neat early stuff. And so I'm, I think there's an explosion to be untapped. Um, you were noting, uh, uh, that, uh, we're, you know, we're still hampered. Developers are still hampered because they don't have access. Um, it's going to be, uh, it's going to be very interesting when, we start seeing um, third-party apps that that can just take advantage of all that. Yeah, um, Marco Arment, um, a big I've developer. Heard of that guy. Yeah, <laughs> familiar with his work. He did a really good blog post about redesigning his Overcast app, kind of version version two of his Overcast app for iWatch. Um, because yeah, once he got his Apple Watch, he realized that the you know the way he had kind of laid it out maybe wasn't the smartest way. He had kind of a three pane thing going on, and he was like, okay, like the the, the screen you want to use most is the now playing screen, and that's three screens in. So he wanted to bring that out to the front. But yeah, he was talking about how Watch Kit, um, how he had to kind of work around some of Watch Kit's limitations, and how they really need a better SDK, and everyone's really looking for to WWC to see if Apple is going to provide the development community with with better tools to improve their watch apps and make them, you know, more useful. So um, that was a really interesting piece. And then Macworld's own Marco Tabini is writing um, something kind of similar just about um, the improvements that he would like to see Apple um, 
offer to developers. And I think they will. Like they're they're really good at kind of starting with a, a basic set of tools and then expanding the capabilities over time. So it's still early. Um, it's you know it's we're we're all impatient because we we want our Apple watches to be as awesome as our iPhones, and I think we're going to get there. Yeah, I think uh, it was great that Marco Armand put up that post because uh, he, you know, he'd been talking publicly and working on his watch app for a while. And when I got the watch, I was like, you know, and I, my reaction was, this does not really work that well. It's I'm mm-hmm. finding all these frustrations. And then I read his post, and all the frustrations I found were the ones that he found too. But you can't simulate the interaction well enough until you have the device. And now with people having the device, it's even though they're still, you know, doing a lot of work. In Xcode, in a simulator, it, they can st- they can now preview and and work with it, and they have a better sense. And so I think uh, I actually would completely agree that Overcast's revision, which came awfully quickly, I think it shows you how agile developers can be because they're changing a relatively small amount of the code to, uh, compared to their whole app, and they've already written an iOS app. So this is a module, and then if they've already written the module and tied everything in, it shows how quickly things can change. And and I've already seen some other apps have. Uh, have made minor improvements too. I can tell their glance is different or they've moved things from the glance into the main app and, and so forth. So it's great to see that iteration can happen that fast as well. Yeah, I thought it was really interesting how he even called out glances. He said that when he first wrote the app, like he didn't really give much attention to the glance because he just didn't think it was that important. Like um, Apple's now playing glance has you know real control. You can control the volume and the playback from that glance. But third-party glances really just were allowed to you know show you a little information at a glance, and then you could tap it to open up the full app. So he didn't really think a lot of people would be doing that, and he just kind of made a glance and called it a day. But now he's seeing like okay the. Glance Glance is much more important because he's finding on his watch that he doesn't like opening the apps from the app cloud. He finds it easier, more convenient to to open them from the glance. So he redesigned his glance as well and put more thought into you know what what people would would want to see from the glance. Um, so that way, yeah, you have another way to to launch the app. It's yeah, I find that I don't want to launch apps a lot because of the rendering time, and I watch the little ring of dots spin. Uh, waiting for mm-hmm. something to come up, and it's a little frustrating. So that it's going to be really interesting. I mean, Apple was obviously very conservative about lifespan of the watch's battery, so much so that now they can, I think, open it up a little and let people burn it a bit. Um, it's going to mean, I think, people who become heavy watch app users with the new uh, the watch uh, apps that will come out from developers, they're going to wind up needing to maybe carry a charger with them or think about it. Because I think that's going to be the big thing is if you can go, you know, I, I'm not a heavy watch user. I forgot to wear my watch for three days recently. It's embarrassing. Whoa. I know. On the weekend, I didn't think to pick it up. And then yesterday, I just completely forgot. I was dealing with computer troubles. We'll talk about it in a moment. And uh, <laughs> uh, and I just didn't think about it. And then this, and I was like, oh, my gosh. You know, I it's and you know, I bought mine for testing specifically, but I want to live with it and get to know it. Um, so it obviously hasn't yet become dispensable to me. I wasn't glancing at my wrist every three seconds to wonder what time it was. But uh but we'll see how the battery life uh, trade-off happens. Uh, let us thank another sponsor. So we have three sponsors this week, and we'd like to thank Red Hat for being one of them. Thank you to Red Hat. So uh, Red Hat, if you're not a server guru, you may not have heard about them, but did you know that every commercial bank in the Fortune 500 relies on Red Hat for its enterprise software. Every department in the executive branch of the U.S. government, every airline in the Fortune Global 500, more than 90% of all the companies in the Fortune 500 
understand the value of supported enterprise open source software for their business. So Red Hat is a version of, of Linux. It's a version of Unix. It's supported. Red Hat provides the, the combination of the value of open source, which is rapid innovation, freedom, interoperability, community-powered technology. And then they're on top of that, taking responsibility for testing it, adding more security options, certifying it works in your data center, providing support. Uh, it's simple what they do. It's simple, but not easy. They make sure you can get all the benefits of open source without the risk of doing it all yourself. And as someone who has run servers for many years, I can tell you what an advantage that is. No one else can make that promise, much less keep it. So visit redhat.com. That's all one word, redhat.com, to see how they can help your enterprise with application development, storage, and cloud computing. Red Hat, different for the sake of better technology. Thanks to Red Hat for being one of our sponsors this week. Uh, Susie, you got a MacBook uh, the same day I did. One of these yep. new, new fancy. What color is yours? You get gold. Space gray. Space gray. I did too. I, I was, wanted gold. Gold uh, was a, a longer wait, and I really just wanted to get it fast. So they still have some. The, the wait time is still long for some of them. I was just uh, corresponding with someone on Twitter who I think they ordered. Was it the lower end processor with 512 gig drive? And it was is it five weeks out, four weeks out. It was a number of weeks out. I was surprised. I didn't ask what color though. So obviously one of two things is happening. Either they're supply constrained or they uh, they decided to not build as many. I mean, I guess that's supply constrained too. We don't know how many they <laughs> built. Apple doesn't release those numbers. Uh, and uh, I, th I think the way this went on sale, I haven't heard any tracking numbers from analysts because uh, it was... I don't think this hit the usual pattern they can do to see what numbers come out of it. But uh, maybe Apple will give us some numbers in the future. But clearly, whatever they made, they ran short. Um, and whether that was an underestimation or a supply constraints, it's the case. Uh, so how do you feel about your MacBook uh, a few weeks in? Having I really like it. Um, like you, I got pretty used to the keyboard. Um, it's, it's not a problem anymore. At first, I was pounding the keys just really, really hard because yeah. I think <laughs> my brain just wanted to make sure they were going down because they don't travel down very far. So I was just smacking them down with everything I could and that, you know, was not necessary. But that went away pretty quickly just as I got used to it. You can get used to a lot of things. So <laughs> a keyboard should not be very hard to get used to. And it, it, yeah, that's that's been fine. Um, and then I like the trackpad a lot. And I haven't, you know, had a, a Retina Mac. Like, we have a lot of Retina MacBook Pros here at the office, but I haven't used one as my daily machine before. So, so pretty. Everyone loves the the Retina Macs. And the, the battery life has been pretty good. Um, we're about to do, we just got the new 2015 um, MacBook Air and MacBook Pros, in, um, and Roman Loyola is taking a look at those. So he's going to do uh, also a battery showdown between those. Because Apple loves to talk about the all-day battery life in the MacBook, but in tests that I've seen on other sites, it seems like the MacBook Air will still last longer, probably because it doesn't have a retina screen. So, But just, you know, in my day-to-day -day experience, the, the battery life has been great, the keyboard's been great, um, and I really, really like the trackpad. 
Yeah, I just wrote a, a piece uh, that you edited, so this is you know all about it. Macworld.com, living with MacBook. Well, I you know the thing is, I had so many people ask me like it's one thing and uh, to get a, an item for review, uh, you know, ahead of release, and um, especially with the ecosystem around the MacBook, the USB C thing. I mean, we talk about it almost every week because I think it's I, uh, it's a harbinger of the future, and and everyone is rightly concerned about what develops and how much it's going to cost. And uh, in my article, somebody commented like, "Oh my gosh, you know, we can't all be you." We can't all get piles of adapters to test and you make this sound really unappealing. I'm like, no, 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 wait, wait. I got piles of adapters to test so you don't have to. This is the whole point of a publication <laughs> that reviews. You don't, you know, maybe I should have been clearer, but I, you know, have that little list of like, if you're a traveler, uh, you can get away with maybe all you need is the multi-port AV digital adapter, which is USB-C, USB-C power pass-through, an HDMI connector that also does DisplayPort uh, output. And uh, a USB Type A, the rectangular type, with USB 3.0 5 gigabit per second support. It's very particular. It costs seventy nine bucks, which $79. I think I know, which is nuts. And you know, in a few, I mean, like, this all is you need I, is one seventy nine dollar oh, adapter geez, know, and a couple your of cables, twelve hundred dollar USB hub. Yeah, your twelve hundred to sixteen dollar or sixteen hundred dollar computer. It's uh, yeah, just add a, another. 5%. It seems like it should have come with one. It was like, and it comes with one no. adapter, and you can pick but, the the, the, the but, HDMI or the VGA. But I think this gets down to it. another commenter in the article. I thought had a great point, which is, uh, and I, I made it more articulately than I did, which is. For the kind of person this fits, this is a great machine. And I think we're not used to Apple making generic computers as much as, let's say, I mean, not make. I'm sorry, not not making generic computers. So the MacBook Pro is expensive relative to the MacBook Air, right? But anybody could use the MacBook Pro. It's a good all-around machine. The MacBook Air has some limitations, but not that many anymore. And if you didn't need specific MacBook Pro features, the MacBook Air is sort of for everybody. I mean, it's got a more limited market, but you don't think of it as that. The MacBook is very particular. You have to be able to accept the keyboard and get used to it. You have to accept the single connector. Um, It's super lightweight, so some people really want that. And it's overpriced relative to performance of the you know lower end and higher end machines. The MacBook Air delivers more performance for less, or, or the same performance in some cases, and the MacBook Pro delivers a lot more performance per dollar uh, with the Retina screen. So I think it's one of the most particular a- a Macs Apple's ever made, and that's why it's polarizing. But you know, in the end, I I, I wind up using a, a different adapters because I'm doing testing. So I'm like, I need to clone my machine. I um, just did a, I put a picture in the article. I did a live podcast with an external preamp, um, USB preamp, and all. You know, so I had a gigabit Ethernet connection. So I had a a, a, a monkey's nest of things plugged into the multi-port adapter, but it all worked. That's the the ultimate lesson is that. Even if it's a little more complicated, you can still do everything you want with this machine. You're just, you know, the, the expense you pay an adapter is going to be higher or lower, uh, depending on your typical use case. I'm probably more of a MacBook Air, maybe leaning towards Pro MacBook Pro user than a MacBook user, but I didn't want to pay as much as a Pro because I don't want the weight, uh, but I do want the Retina. And the MacBook Air, I wanted a Retina. So what machine could I get but this? So it fits me well enough. And when I go outside of my typical use cases, then I need adapters. But, you know, those are going to get cheaper. I expect, uh, well, like Google sells a DisplayPort-only connector that is, I want to say, $40. And I expect we're going to see multi-port adapters of a lot of varieties that are much cheaper than Apple's, too. 
Yeah, that's the nice thing about USB-C is that it's not Apple's you know, own standard. So we should be seeing more adapters come out as that ecosystem matures. And yeah, I mean, I use a MacBook Air as my everyday machine. And so this MacBook, I don't have any adapters yet for USB-C. And it's been fine. Like, we've just been sending them all to you. And I just, <laughs> I, I only use it when I can use it kind of self-contained. And that hasn't been as big of a drag as I thought it would be. But, you know, I also have, like, stacks of other Macs sitting around that I can use when I want to connect to an external display or, um, you know, back up to my time machine drive. So, so yeah, I've just been using it as a self-contained little appliance, like an iPad with a keyboard. And I so I really like it. But yeah, it it was nice to read your article and know that, you know, if I needed to use it for everything, the adapters that are out there work just fine, more on the way. And yeah, I'm glad that we kind of revisited it. Um, I love what iMore has been doing recently, where when a big thing comes out, they'll review it just as, you know, the initial review, but then they'll, they'll come back to it like three months later and say, okay, what are we still using? What are we still liking? Have the problems that we had with it initially gone away or just become less important? Um, so yeah, we're going to be looking at the, the MacBook and, and definitely the Apple Watch over time to see if, you know, especially with the MacBook where the one of the big dings in Jason Snell's initial review was that this thing is great. It just doesn't, you know, the ecosystem didn't come with it from when it came down from the future. So, yeah. so yeah, I think we should we should keep revisiting this. And and I'm glad that you're on the adapters beat because you're doing a hell of a job. Oh my gosh, it's uh, a giant pile of things. I've got a few new ones, but I got my first uh, lemon, which was a, a four port USB 3.0 hub that is totally generic. I got it from a reseller on Amazon and it does not work. It has a blue LED, supposedly it lights up and it does not work. And I wrote the company back and got um, some very broken English response. And then finally, yes, yes, we'll refund your money. They're very nice about it. Like, could you send us pictures of it? Because I don't know that they've seen it. I think they commissioned or purchased it from, uh, I think they're basically reselling it from a company, a manufacturer in China. And I'm not sure they've received it to test. I think they literally contracted for it through maybe even through Alibaba or one of those organizations where you can buy, um, you know, uh, you can get uh, electronics in various stages of manufacture, including essentially complete products. Uh, and the, um, you know, it says on the front, it's like, you know, works with uh, Windows 2000, XP Vista 7.8, Mac OS, and then parentheses numerals 10.x or above. So um, it's the most generic packaging. It did not work. So that's, that's going back. But, um, but so far... Uh, I think the USB-C connector is a little fiddly to make because it's got to be just tight enough to sort of snap into. I mean, there's a there's like a like a shelf that sticks out inside the connector and the uh, in the jack, and then the plug that goes in the male actually kind of has to snap over it, and that is a very short distance, like. Uh, Oh, I don't know, a couple millimeters at most, maybe even less, that it has to push in there, where lightning, the whole thing sort of grabs in it. This is your sort of the outside part of it is grabbing onto the inside part. It's very interesting, and I think it's going to be, uh, we're probably going to see a variety of quality among makers. But so far, everything I've tested uh, otherwise has worked. Um, let's, uh, talking about acquiring knowledge and learning, uh, this is a good segue into our final sponsor this week, The Great Courses 
Susie, tell us, what can we learn at, uh, at our advanced stage in life? What can we learn about things? You can learn a lot of stuff from the great courses. This is kind of like going back to school. You get a little syllabus and you follow the, you, you attend the lectures, but, you know, it's all on your terms. You can get lectures as video or audio. They come with transcripts. You can take notes. Um, so, yeah, it's great. Um, the, the transcripts have been really cool because you can just, you know, run a little search and find all the, the places that you know, the thing you want to find out is, is mentioned in. Um, the, the great courses that I've been working through is called Understanding Investments. And um, so that's all about personal finance and investing for the future. So super practical knowledge and something that isn't really taught in school. And, you know, you can take it at your own pace. So if you're like, wow, you know, mutual funds are really complicated. I better go back and listen to that one again. Um, you, you know, I, I just got a financial statement that I don't understand. I'm going to rewatch the lecture on analyzing financial statements to, you know, parse the information. So these lessons can, you, you, this course that you buy about investments, I mean, this could pay off in the long run. Like you could, you could end up retiring with a lot more money if, if you follow some of these these lessons. Um, the Great Courses is, is celebrating their 25th anniversary this year. So it's not just this one class. They have more than 500 courses on a huge variety of subjects. You want to learn about photography, about art history, about literature. Um, there's, there, there's something there for everybody. And they have a special offer for Macworld listeners. So go to thegreatcourses.com slash Macworld. And you will see a selection of eight of their best-selling courses. At uh, the prices have been slashed up to eighty percent off the original price, but that's only for a limited time. So go today to thegreatcourses.com/macworld to check it out. And we thank the Great Courses for sponsoring the podcast. Well, if only they could teach us how to get the Stocks app off our watches. Yeah, and right. Yeah. See, I don't invest in single stocks. That's not the that's know, not smart way. And now you don't have to check the prices every day. You buy and hold. Buy don't, and hold. This is not a financial advice podcast, but don't be a <laughs> stock timer. Don't be a stock timer. Meet the market. Don't beat the market. That's yeah. uh, a lesson I learned. Uh, so uh, last, our last storage days, um, uh, this is my, uh, <laughs> oh my gosh, I have had the- Tell us a story, Glenn. Oh my gosh. <laughs> All right. So uh, here, well, I'm going to start with the joke. The joke will be appropriate. So- uh, uh, this fellow comes to town and he's feeling very depressed. So he goes and finds a psychologist and uh, he tells the psychologist, doctor, I, everything in life seems like ashes. I, I can't get any enjoyment. Nothing I do seems to bring me a smile. I don't know what I'm doing with myself. And the doctor says, young man, you're so lucky. Uh, this is a great, uh, the timing couldn't be better. The great clown Pagliacci is in town and I happen to have extra tickets. Take this ticket, go and see Pagliacci. If he cannot make you happy, no one kill. No, no one can. And the man says, "But doctor, I am Pagliacci." <laughs> it's a joke about the human condition, but it's also a joke about someone who writes the Mac Nine One One column, who is suffering from the worst, the worst series of computer problems. I've had. Um, I've owned a computer since I was eleven. That was nineteen seventy nine, nineteen eighty, and I really, honestly, don't think I've had. As ongoing problems, I've had worse problems. I've had drive meltdowns and had to reconstruct backups over, you know, two sleepless days to get something working and so forth. But I think I'm on week three or four and really on multiple months of having weirdness. And I still can't figure out exactly what went on. But I have a new Mac. I have a new Mac. I'm sending back a drive for warranty repair. <laughs> I have functional system. 
But the best thing I can tell is that I think the Mac Mini I had, my 2011 Mac Mini, maybe it had electrical problems? I don't know. But uh, it started experiencing strange slowdowns a long time ago. And there were sort of blips here and there. And then it got worse. So I wrote an article about, oh, well, here's how you refurbish your Mac. You get an external SSD. I was using FireWire 800, which isn't that fast, but it's actually relatively fast. Uh, and I've done some drive tests since and, and found that... Um, uh, even the internal drives probably, uh, unless I upgraded substantially or put an SSD internally, uh, wouldn't have performed better uh, than the FireWire uh, 800 bus's limitations. And uh, it was like I got a new machine. I was booting externally from it. Everything was terrific. I had a couple weeks like that. Then I start to get these weird slowdowns again. I can't figure out what's going on. I, I troubleshoot all these things. I'm having problems. And uh, uh, ultimately, I'm like, oh, I have a bad FireWire drive. I pull the FireWire drive off. And I'm still having problems, still having problems. Uh, and then uh, the internal drive goes bad, which I wasn't even booting from. I'm like, this is ridiculous. Seems to me, at this point, the FireWire and ATA bus have both gone bad. Maybe they share a controller chip, but both of them seem to have gone bad. I can't get stuff to work reliably in FireWire. I can't get stuff to work, the internal drive to work. Uh, I double-check the drives with another machine. Everything's cool. I buy a new Mac Mini, bring it in, can't seem to get it working, send it back because it doesn't seem to be the problem. Like, all right, so then I'm booting off USB 2.0 because it's an old Mac with my SSD. And uh, now everything seems fine, slower. Um, and I swap in it. I just swapped in a new Mac yesterday. I've got the gorier story will be online, but it's it was this, I think I've gone through, had three drives fail. Oh, yeah, the SSD, the external SSD failed. Uh, it's like six weeks old. Wow. And disk utility will have nothing to do with it. And I know there's other tools I could go to, but it's new and uh, it won't erase, it won't format, it won't uh, verify. And uh, I'm thinking, well, you know, it's under warranty, I'm going to get it replaced. So I was able, I because I am a nightly cloner, I have super duper run scheduled nightly clones to an external drive. When all of this failed and my external boot drive was dead, <laughs> I was able to do this sneaky thing that's documented in super duper, which is you can boot to a restore, uh, to a, uh, the OS X recovery. You can run disk utility and then you can mount, I was backing up to a sparse image, disk image. You can mount that as a restore volume in recovery and then uh, restore a hard drive from it. So I was able to get the new Mac oh, wow. internal drive restored from my super duper clone because it's a standard uh, it's basically an exact clone. And then I was back in business. Then I had to do some monkeying around and, and reset. I had to do a SMC reset because it didn't recognize the second monitor because it had been cloned with a different you know configuration and blah, blah. Now I'm back in business today. But um, So I think it's three drives gone bad, one Mac gone bad, um, and some other mysteries that I haven't been able to solve. I had some outdated software. Susie, this was crazy. That's I bananas. Yeah. That's a sad story. <sighs> it is. But you and never lost any work since you clone every night? Yeah, I have used Dropbox. So I was, uh, yesterday, I lost, I think, uh, three or four emails that came in during a short period of time. Because even though I have a uh, crash plan running continuously, I'm in the middle of a kind of a big refresh because I had to move drives uh, a few weeks ago. And I'm still dealing with um, some of the issues around that with all these crashes, getting my crash plan backups uh, all up to date, which they are nearly so. So I lost like, uh, but because I used Dropbox, I was doing an interview yesterday, doing some other work and I save anything contemporary in there and it immediately synced. So it didn't lose anything there. And the nightly clones, man, I had a perfect copy before things went pear-shaped as it's, as it's called. Good. 
I can oh. send you some random email if you just if you if you miss those emails. Send me, yeah, any email between. <laughs> I'll just start yesterday. forwarding you stuff. Yeah. Oh my gosh, but yeah. So this is. I mean, so I I tell this story and I wrote the story partly because uh, I think people feel terrible. My wife was like, you know, what do people do who aren't you who go through this? Yeah. I'm like, I don't know. And if I don't this had happened to me, I would just be crying and I would just quit computers oh. completely because yeah. I was considered. I was thinking, you know, uh, I like plants. Maybe. Well, you know, <laughs> maybe there's dahlia farms nearby. Maybe it just I didn't could. happen when I was setting type. Oh my gosh. Yeah. The worst thing that happened is, you know, I'd have to mind my P's and Q's, but, uh, oh Lord. Yeah. It's, I think it's, I th the, there's all these, what I would call like epiphenomena. It's like you're doing a thing and you're troubleshooting it and you're like, well, this doesn't make any sense, but there are, you're getting side effects of something else. So if I were to go through this again, what I really need and I, I should buy, cause I, I've never had drive trouble of this order of magnitude ever before. I've had drives fail, but it's usually obvious. You hear a tick, tick sound, or all of a sudden something goes wrong, or it starts to slow down, and you see something really like that won't mount in the finder, or it starts to spin a lot, then you get, you know, you run disk utility, it's like, hey, this thing is really messed up do something. So my, my next goal is the next time I have anything remotely like this, I get some serious disk diagnostic tool software and I run it through its paces instead of disk utility is a great first line thing, but it's not a, it's not a deep dive. And, uh, some people are telling me on Twitter that I could be, I could probably get my drives working again if I got third party utilities and, uh, connected it to a windows machine, which, and I've heard this, there are some better drive tools on Windows that simply aren't available on Mac that will do some really interesting low-level stuff. Uh, and uh, so you can sometimes get disks to come back to life that seem broken, but it's really some kind of funky thing that you just can't fix. So I don't know that I'll do that. But um... <laughs> <laughs> but today I have a working machine after three weeks of... It's it's like having part of my brain missing. It's been really just, you know, I have, a, I have the MacBook that I can work on, but the MacBook is sort of a different purpose machine. So I've been using it more. But, you know, you have that machine you think of as it's where my brain resides. It's where my email archives are. It's where all my photos are now. It has all the – it's running all the backups. It's doing a lot of different things. And without it available, it just – I felt uh, much less capable. And um, so those of you listening know that this doesn't just happen to you. This happens to <laughs> – <laughs> there yeah, is no magic that's, button that's like, comforting. oh, everything's going badly. I'll press this button on my Mac and it'll all be fine. But uh, you can swap all the things you want and you can still wind up in the situation I was. <sighs> all that means is... Well, Glenn wrote a whole... <laughs> he wrote down this whole saga and uh, we've been changing it a lot as, uh, as as things evolve. But I think now it's it's finally over. So yeah, look for that on Macworld.com if you want to to read even more about um, what, what he's been through because it's been quite the story. Some of the bits may help you if you're having your own problems. I think the, the strangest thing to me, Susie, is I don't know if you've ever had this happen. I haven't been able to find anyone who's who's seen this particular thing is I think the Firewire and ATA, ATA, the internal ATA bus were failing slowly. So instead of having an abrupt failure, which we've all dealt with and I can cope with, I was having this gradual, it's like interruptions that didn't show up at any activity monitor or any kind of uh, tracking. And, uh, and then it got worse and worse and worse, but it was, there was no clue as to what was going on. That was the thing that I've never seen. I'd love to know if anyone else has had that problem where they've, managed to isolate and go, oh, it's just one of the buses in my computer. Uh, or if they figured out maybe, you know, I've got this Mac, uh, I have it plugged into a UPS that does power conditioning. So it's not taking a power from the mains, as it were. It's taking it from uh, after it's gone through uh, the internal conditioning, which is supposed to help with anything if you had weird electrical problems that could fry computers, even though that used to be a thing in the past. 
I still do that. So I have the power backup as well. So uh, re- read my words and weep and uh, tell us your experiences with uh, impossible to diagnose frustrating things that nearly made you give up using computers and live in a cave in the woods. Uh, that sounds really good right now, but uh, we'll be back next week with fewer caves and uh, more other news. Uh, less frustrating news, I'm sure. And uh, in the meantime, you know, you can always find us at Macworld.com. You can write to us at podcast at Macworld.com or leave comments on the podcast at Macworld.com. Macworld.com, if I haven't said that enough, that's where you'll find us. And thanks <laughs> thanks this week to our three sponsors, Red Hat, Dash Lane, and The Great Courses. Susie, great talking to you as always. Yeah, you too. Thanks. A pleasure, and thank you for your sympathy. <laughs> this has been episode Keep up four. The good work. Oh, nothing, nothing worked. Uh, this has been episode four hundred and fifty-six of the MacWorld Podcast for May thirteenth, two thousand fifteen. Thanks for listening, folks, and we'll talk to you again next week.